every single time I've gone home at the end of the day and thought, do you know what? I did really good CEOing today. Today was a great CEO. Every single time, whatever that thing is that I did has turned out to be a mistake. <laughs> Welcome to Hyper Curious, our weekly celebration of what's best in human beings, our curiosity. My name is Vita Luca, and I love that you're taking a precious time of your day to listen to us today. In this show, if you haven't noticed yet, I talk to the most incredible entrepreneurs, authors, investors, and kick-ass people I know, and they share their best insights and aha moments of their careers and lives with us. Today, I'm super excited to talk to this incredible and highly accomplished entrepreneur. Rachel Carell is on a mission to build the world's best childcare service. She's the founder and CEO of Coral Kids, a fast-growing tech company that raised over $15 million from the most respectable venture capital investors in the world. Rachel came to the UK from New Zealand to complete a doctorate from the University of Oxford and has received numerous awards, including Inspirational Mother, the Best Businesswoman in Tech, and Young Global Leader by the World Economic Forum. Prior to starting her business, she was the CEO of a multinational healthcare company when she had her first baby, experienced firsthand how difficult and expensive it was to arrange childcare and decided to found Coral Kids. In this episode, you learn about the importance of setting up a powerful vision for your business and communicate it widely. Also, Rachel's fantastic pro tip to female founders who are fundraising. If you are a female entrepreneur, stay tuned because this is gold. And thirdly, how she manages her day to be a high achiever leader, look after her kids and stay calm. I'm beyond happy to welcome Rachel to the show today. Rachel, welcome to Hyper Curious. Hello. So tell us about your essence as a human, as a leader. Who is Rachel Carell in one sentence? Goodness me. I am a Kiwi, a mother, an entrepreneur, and I'm interested in almost everything, like you. Amazing. So the world now knows you because you are the founder and CEO of Core Kids. But previously, you have been a CEO before to the world's largest online doctor service. What is the best and the worst about being a CEO? I think the best thing is when you're interested in lots of different things, you get to see everything across the company and um, you get to delve into things and you're just constantly, constantly learning. And for someone who, like me, who I've just come off a day where... I had like a completely different topic every half hour and also a completely different skill need, I guess. So, you know, there was a half hour where I had to sell and then a half hour where I had to interview and then a half hour where I had to coach and a half hour where I had to do something else. And that range of, of experience, I really, really love. The worst thing is just that like, as Ben Horowitz said, everything is your fault. Like literally everything is your fault, especially when you're a founder, even more, everything is all your fault. Because even if you're not the person who did the thing, you're the person who hired the person who did the thing or the person who hired the person who hired the person that did the thing or whatever. So at the end of the day, you know, I think we're all very self-critical people or I am anyway. And 
I look around, I find it hard to see all the amazing things that are going really well. And I just see all the things that are not quite perfect and not quite my vision. And ah, it's all my fault. And that is the worst thing. Wow. Yeah, it is. I relate to that. It's, it can be very painful. But it's funny what you're saying about taking this responsibility, even if it's down the chain in the in the organization, right? Do you still have that feeling that, you know, everything is ultimately your responsibility? Oh, 100%. And because, I mean, we're not that big. Like, we're still, um, you know, the biggest we've been is sort of 60 people. And if I didn't hire the people, I at least hired the people who hired the people. And I think I go down one more level than that, but like, it's still pretty personal at this stage. And I still, you know, if someone is feeling like some kind of communication didn't work or whatever, it's, it all still feels quite close, but I don't know that I would feel differently. Like if we were a 10,000 person company, I am honestly not sure that feeling would ever go away. One thing I do think about is the particular kind of culture that I have created at Cora Kids works with particular kinds of people. And the people who are right for my culture absolutely love it. But I do think, you know, if we were a 10,000 person company, could we actually find enough of those people? And would we be able to sustain this? And maybe at that point, it slightly becomes not my fault, because then I can kind of say, oh, that's because you're not like a the kind of person who likes the kind of culture that we are. But then it's my fault for growing that big. So it's all my fault. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of responsibility, but I but I understand your point of view. So the other day you told me about the story of what koru, the word, means, and I absolutely loved it. And I think there's a lot to be said about having a story and having a core vision for, for your business. And that's something that actually your, your employees, your partners, your investors can latch on, can find, can connect from an emotional perspective. So how did you go about defining that story, the story, the right story for Core Kids and the big vision? So the story of the fern and the koru and all of that, that was really there right from the start. Um, there was no process to define that. That is within the unborn baby of koru kids. And uh, I remember my husband came home one day and he was out for a run and he came in and he said, I think you should call your business koru kids. And the reason he said that is it's a Maori word. It's from New Zealand and koru means loop and it, it also means an unfurling fern frond. And ferns are very important in New Zealand. The All Blacks and the national rugby team wear the fern. The netball team is called the silver ferns. Ferns are very, very evocative. And um, my daughter's middle name is fern. And I love the idea of the fern growing. And then I also love this concept of loop because Cory Kids is a loop of care around our families and our nannies. And so Cory Kids just really like felt right. And then the vision that essence of the vision, like the idea that we were about a loop of care, that was always there. I think the thing that we've developed over time that is now really, really, really core to our vision is the idea of helping families flourish. And this is the bit that I'm really excited about at the moment is we're a really, really, really good childcare service. And we've done a great job at building that, but how can we go beyond that and really profoundly transform the lives of the families that are working with us by training our nannies to do things like 
improve children's mental health and teach them resilience and give them positive mindsets, the kind of thing that you carry with you for life. So that's now our kind of big vision is like, how can we turn every single one of our nannies into like that inspirational teacher that you had? How can we give them the tools and the techniques and help them understand the right moments to deploy them to give every single child that And it's so current, right? It's so much needed when we all, all the parents are homeschooling at the moment. As, as the, yes. this time of recording, we are in lockdown officially in the UK. So this is so current. So Cora Kids uh, grew by uh, 150% since the pandemic hit. And 50% of which of the, your new, new clients and customers are dads working from home. Why do you think that is? Why do you think dads were particularly interested? This pandemic has had all sorts of really interesting gender effects. And one of them is that there's been some good and bad. And one of the really cool things is that a lot of dads who were less involved historically have got to spend a lot more time with their kids and become more intimately involved in their kids' lives. And, you know, we've all got to see what it is that our kids actually do in school all day. And sometimes that's been lovely and sometimes it's been horrifying. And so that's been really great. And it's kind of not surprising that a lot of our signups have, have come from dads. Of course, it's also been some terrible gender impact, like a lot of studies showing that a lot of the brunt of childcare is being experienced by women and women are overwhelmingly the people who are likely to take furlough or lose their jobs, either, either give them up voluntarily or um, get made redundant from them. There have been some just terrifying stats. So I think it's brilliant that dads are um, signing up more with us and long may it continue. We've, we've always been really, really careful in, in our brand to always, always use the word parents when we talk about childcare and never use the word moms, even though in reality, you know, if you look at the actual data of who is signing up and using this, the service, it is mostly moms, but we always wanted to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. So we always talk about parents. Mm. So one of your investors is Atomico, uh, which is one of the most respected uh, VC funds in the world that was founded by Nicholas Zenstrom, uh, who was the founder of Skype. And we share the same investors uh, actually, right, on our Series A. And you raised $13 million dollars for Coral Kids. What is your biggest advice that you give to female founders out there who are trying to take this route? What can they learn from you? So I think my my advice, I have a lot of advice to founders looking for investment and I talk to founders a lot about it. The biggest piece of advice when I talk to female founders one-on-one -on -one is I say, do not have it in your head that you are a female founder when you walk into the room. Like, yes, you are one, that's cool. But if you walk into the room thinking about the stats or you walk into the Zoom, whatever we're doing these days, If you go in there thinking about the stats and like assuming that you're, you're at some kind of disadvantage, you're just in the completely wrong headspace for an investment conversation. And that goes for any form of disadvantage or like statistical disadvantage that you might have. You might be, whether that's black or whether you are in an um, unsexy industry, you just have to enter the conversation thinking and truly believing I have an incredible opportunity in front of me and I'm going to explain to you why it's an incredible opportunity. And 
if there is a fit, I may allow you to come with me on this journey, on this incredible opportunity. That's the mindset you have to be in. And so I just think like, get it out of your head. Just don't even think about it. And I think that's, that's my advice on an individual level, on a collective level, yes, we have to work on this problem. But on an individual level, you would honestly, I think, do better if you just didn't even know the stats. Just get them out of your head. That's such a good point. It's a really good point. When I was asked this this question before, I, I think I grew up not thinking about the stats. And I think that's the biggest advantage. And a lot of young you know, younger people now are having all of these, you know, paranoia and like back of the story on their minds that they might be putting themselves to failure without them even realizing. That's a really good point. And it goes for startups more generally. I mean, like most startups fail and most startups don't get VC funding and most most investors say no. And like we're doing something that is hard and crazy. And, you know, like Elon Musk said the other day, they he got asked, what encouraging words would you give to someone who wants to do a startup? And his answer was, if you need encouraging words, don't do a startup. And like, I really like that. I, I agree. I mean, I do like encouraging words. <laughs> Please feel free to give me some encouraging words. But it just is hard. And the stats are against everyone the stats are it is true that the stats are particularly against women but they are against everyone and so for anyone if you wake up in the morning thinking oh you know there's like a 90% chance that what I'm going to do today is pointless what a headspace to be in (laughs) don't be in that headspace yeah yeah what what keeps you focused and motivated every day I think the things that I get energy I, I get a lot of energy from my team because they're incredible I love how kind and generous and thoughtful and smart they are. And we've built a very vibrant culture. That's great. I definitely, the mission that we're, that we're working on, I think it's incredibly important. I think it's important for a lot of reasons. I mean, I get kind of motivational anger when I think like righteous anger, when I think about how childcare is disrespected as essential infrastructure And, you know, it's so often missed off. It's missed off government lists of things. It's just overlooked and it's so critical. And then I connect that to um, the lack of female leadership in, you know, I look at some of the decisions that come out of the cabinet. I look at how this UK government has mishandled this pandemic, you know, with tragic results, with the deaths of many thousands of people that didn't need to happen. And I do connect that to like a lack of diverse leadership and a lack of constructive challenge and a terrible culture within within our leadership. And, and I do connect those two things because I think if you don't have the infrastructure that allows for people with, from diverse backgrounds, particularly women, to succeed, then you end up with this very homogenous group. And, and I do think these things are related. And I can't help but contrast this to my home country, New Zealand, which has incredibly... Such a great example. Are you missing your home country? country? I am living it. But my whole life is contrasting these two things. Like I get up in the morning and I look out into the grave and I can't leave my house. And I look at my Facebook feed and it's full of my friends at home having fun and my elderly mother singing in the church choir and all this normal life. 
And I know quite a lot of the you know people in parliament over there, and it is a very healthy culture. There are lots of women. It's very diverse. The leadership of Jacinda Ardern, who's the prime minister, is, is famous now for being very compassionate, incredibly strong, wonderful communication, you know, very transparent. The trust in her is very high. It's literally the opposite of everything that you would say about our government in the UK. And I can't help but every day make this comparison. And so when you ask, you know, where, what motivates me, where do I get my energy? What I'm doing is such a tiny bit of this, but I do connect it. I am building the modern childcare infrastructure that we desperately need, which then allows for all these other things that we also desperately need. The fundamentals. I love that. The very fundamentals, the building bricks of it all. I love it. I'm going to change the, the conversation slightly to something that is super current for both of us, Clubhouse. <laughs> People go there and they exchange information, they learn from each other, you know, we host rooms and etc. I'm sure both of us are like multi-hyphenates, uh, love, you know, putting our brains into a lot of things and learning from, from the world, right? And we're loving every minute of it. And you are founder, CEO, a leader, coach to your team, so, so caring about everything in your culture, right? And of course, course, you are now homeschooling your kids and, you know, being a wife and everything, you know, all of the, the roles that you play uh, in your day to day. So question is, how do you manage and what is the typical day in your life? Okay. Um, well, how do I manage? It's very simple. I have the absolutely enormous privilege of having a wonderful nanny. And as you would imagine, I run a childcare company. I have incredibly great childcare. She arrives at eight o'clock. And um, actually, one innovation that I recently made, which is changing my life, is I realized that normally she would arrive at eight and she would take over doing breakfast with the kids. And I would take that opportunity to go and like, change the kitten's litter and uh, and like feed it and kind of stack the dishwasher and stuff. And I, over, over Christmas, realized that this was completely nuts. And I agreed with her that when she comes in, now she does the kitty litter and the dishwasher and I spend time with the kids, um, which is much better. So I have the enormous privilege of having her in the house and So I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And um, one thing that I'm really enjoying at the moment is I will do something like talk to you or talk to my team and then I'll wander out and get a cup of tea and I'll wander past my daughter and um, and look at what she's doing and she'll show me some schoolwork or something and then I'll kind of wander back into my office. And for me, that like blend of work and life works really, really well, but I'm extremely conscious that most people don't have that. And for most people, this time is very, very, very tough. So that's a very simple answer for how it works. And the other thing that is a very key ingredient for me in how it works is my husband is a totally 50-50 parent with me, and we're very conscious about that. And um, so, you know, my three-year-old sleeps terribly, and my husband is the one who gets up in the night, and I'm the one who kind of gets the good sleep. Uh, my husband does have a full-time job. He, he works as an investor, So we're both trying to make this work, but I don't want to, I don't want to pretend that it is easy. It's not, it's really hard. It's exhausting. Like I very much expect to look back on this period of my life, not just the pandemic, but the years around it as well as the hardest, the most exhausting, hardest time of my life. Having said that I chose it. It's was completely a conscious choice. So again, it's all my fault. 
<laughs> do you have like to establish certain boundaries? So, so do you have like your schedules like, okay, this is protected and I'm not going to move that. Are there certain boundaries that you don't blend? It pretty much goes with the flow. My husband and I do have um, some sort of understandings with each other. Like at the weekend, we quite often will have a nap and uh, I'm very pro having a nap. So we try to kind of give each other time. But aside from that, like I have, I have daily goals that I always want to achieve. Right now I have a, um, I'm very big into New Year's resolutions. I take them very seriously. Right. Okay. Tell me about that. <laughs> so to establish like five to 10 new, new Year's resolution or it's like one thing that you focus the whole year? I have very strong opinions about New Year's resolutions. So the way I do them is I have one, only one. And I actually start doing it in December. And the reason I start doing it in December is so that I can practice and realize what my blockers are going to be to doing it. So that by the time January the 1st comes, I've solved all the little problems. I've iterated the New Year's resolution. Like if it was too, if it turns out it was too hard, I've like downgraded it. If I need, turns out I needed some equipment, I've got it. So there's like no reason why I can't do this New Year's resolution. So my, my New Year's resolution this year was to do a Peloton. I, we have a Peloton and you use a Peloton app and they have all sorts of different work, workouts. So they have like stretching and core and bar and running and all sorts of things, meditation, everything. And my, so my New Year's resolution is just to do one every single day. So I like New Year's resolutions, which are very achievable, but like kind of hard. So that's one of my rules that I have to do that every single day. I actually, I'm, this is very sad. I woke up at three o'clock in the morning this morning and I realized that I had missed it and it was the first day that I'd missed it. So I kept it up. I think I kept it up for 33 days and then I just missed a day. So I'm actually feeling full of regret. I was trying to figure out how I got back to sleep last night because I was feeling such regret over this. Oh no, <laughs> you, could, you could do double the time. To compensate, no? No, no. <laughs> I, he said that this morning. Oh, you can just do two today. I was like, no, that is not what it is. It's just gone. Oh, no, I've missed it. I've missed it. It's gone. But I, I am still going to do it for the rest of the year. But to be clear, I failed now. Oh, come on. You, you, you didn't fail. You failed one day out of 33. That's not failure. You succeeded 99% of the time. No? <laughs> yeah. It's all my fault. Oh, your fault. So on that note, how do you balance your hyper speed drive as a high achiever that you are and highly accomplished woman and, you know, some me time for relaxation, for a nap, for, you know, something that you feel that's just kind of relaxing you and recharging your, your batteries? How do you balance the two? So this has, this has really come home to bite me this year because um, I, I have a very strong memory of being a kid, maybe teenager, maybe like 15, 16. And my mom saying to me, Rachel, you never relax. You never take a holiday. And I was kind of like, well, you know, what are you talking about? I, I like, why, why do I need to, for some reason that comment has stuck with me. It's amazing how the, some of these comments can stick with you. And it wasn't a problem. It is true that I don't really relax, but it, that was never a problem until this year. And then for some reason this year, I think it's a common thing that a lot of people have experienced. I started experiencing like a lot of muscle, muscle tension. And I know a lot of people are having back pain and stuff. And it actually got worse and worse and worse. And so for the first time ever this year, I've, I've had to 
think about this and actually put things into my life in a way that I never did before. So I did a transcendental meditation course, which I really loved. And I now, you're meant to do it twice a day for 20 minutes. I don't always achieve that, but I do I do, do it quite a lot. And I, um, I had tried lots of other forms of meditation in the past. I tried like the Calm app and stuff and it just was never me. It never worked for me. But this form of transcendental meditation, the difference is that it's mantra meditation. And for some reason, it just worked for me brilliantly. I also have this thing called the Shakti mat, which is like a, um, it's like a mat of nails, (laughs) like a bed of nails. (laughs) Do you know about this? I've heard of it and I'm I'm not sure if I, if I have the courage. (laughs) Is it painful? Super painful. Yes. Yes. It's incredibly painful. How does it make you relax then if it's painful? Well, so what happens is you 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 lie on it. You don't have clothes. Like I just use it on my back. So I like, I don't have clothes on my back. And then I, and then you lie on it and it spikes and the spikes like press and it's lots and lots of spikes all over your, all over your body. When you first do it, like the first few times you do it, I'm a bit, it's a bit better now, but the first few times it is excruciatingly painful for about like one minute and then what happens is all the blood rushes to that area of your body and it starts feeling very warm and all your muscles relax and it's the you get this incredible rush and it makes you feel really sleepy so it's an amazing thing to do like if you can't sleep at night or just before you go to sleep and over time I'm a bit worried that it's the effect is wearing off I was actually lying there because I woke up in the middle of the night because of this Peloton thing. And then I used my Shakti mat to get back to sleep. But I was lying there thinking, okay, either I've become like psychologically somewhat immune or something to this, or the alternative hypothesis is that my skin is now really thick. (laughs) You just increase the threshold of pain, right? Exactly, right? But I, I don't know which, I don't, th- I mean, I, I, I think my skin is normal. So I think it's just psychological. I can't explain it. But anyway, it's like, it's at least interesting, put it that way. And they're very cheap. So you should just get one and have a, have a see what it's like. So the bed of nails, transcendental meditation. Do you have a, a specific mantra? Did you create a mantra for yourself? Yeah. I mean, I obviously can't tell you what it is. It's very secret. But transcendental meditation is, um, you have to do a course with a teacher and they have this little ritual where they tell you your mantra and it's told to you one-on-one and there's a little, I think there's like a bell or something and I think there's some incense. I can't quite remember. Also, it was over Zoom, so the incense was somewhat lost on me. <laughs> but you get told the mantra and then that becomes... Um, actually, I mean, it's a very important sound to me now. Like it's a meaningless set of syllables, but it has become a very important sound. Like to me, it's the... I've imbued it with all this meaning. And to me, it means acceptance and bliss. And one of the, one of the reasons that I think transcendental meditation worked for me when nothing else ever had is because at the core of it is the idea of not trying to do anything at all. Whereas other ones, you're always trying to do something. You're trying to quiet thoughts or you're trying to imagine something. There's always an element of judgment, even if there's not meant to be, I just couldn't ever stop that judgment. But this transcendental meditation, they tell you repeatedly, anything you do is okay, literally anything. And that to me is just profoundly calming and leads to this state of bliss. 
because you let it go, right? You can completely let it go. I love that. I'm going to try it out. I, I started doing one hour meditation for the last six months and it, it has been like this, a little bit like you with the Pelotons. I, I must not miss, you know, every single day. And, and then every now and then I go to Clubhouse. I'm like, oh my God, my meditation. But I, I'm going to try Transcendental. What, what I try to do, what I do as meditation is just sit, sitting still and looking at the sky. And a little bit what you're saying, like... The fact that I'm looking at the sky just without judging or anything, just seeing the clouds passing, it's just exactly the moment that I just let it go. There's no other concentration like, you know, you're thinking about anything else, right? So, yeah, I love that. I'm going to try uh, Transcendental. I think I'm going to like that. So going to kind of look back into the business again. What is the best mistake you've ever made in business? Oh, that's so hard. I don't know what my answer to that would be something that felt like it was wrong at the time, but turned out to be great. I have many more examples of the opposite. Uh, (laughs) One thing that um, I have learned is that whenever I think I've just done something awesome as a CEO, every single time I've gone home at the end of the day, and thought, do you know what? I did really good CEOing today. Today was a great CEO. Every single time, whatever that thing is that I did has turned out to be a mistake. (laughs) It's always something bold. It's always like, you know, I made a quick decision or I was really clear with that person about like something tough or, you know, I had a really difficult conversation or something like that. And pretty much every single time, like with the benefit of hindsight, we're like, oh, it's a bit too clear or "Hmm, that was a bit too quick a decision. (laughs) But the opposite, something that I thought was a mistake I mean, time will tell on pandemic and um, some of the strategic decisions that we took around that. We experimented with things like virtual nannying. We released a large number of products just to kind of test what happened. We've pivoted the business in the early days a couple of times, and now we are um, expanding geographically and we're also expanding into other services. So there are some of those things that I currently think is a mistake, but hopefully one of them with the benefit of hindsight in a few years time will turn out to have some kind of great effect. I do find often I, um, I stay in touch with people for a very long time, especially interviewees. And I have a, a sort of mental list of people who I have interviewed for jobs and like, for whatever reason, it hasn't quite worked out but I stay in touch with them. And it's amazing where that leads, actually. The serendipity of, you just never know. I'm a, I'm a big fan of sayings and proverbs, and there are a few of them from different cultures, about how you have to give things time because you can, in the moment, it's hard to tell whether or not something was a good or bad decision or a good or bad day. Such a good way to see life. It's a really good way to see life because sometimes we punish ourselves so much for the small mistakes or the things that we believe are not the great things on our day-to-day and especially high achievers and multi-hyphenates, right? We want to win everywhere. (laughs) And then, you know, take like, yeah, a year from now and suddenly that little thing that you did that gets, you know, blossoms or brings you such an opportunity. I love that. So what are you most curious about at the moment? We're all about hyper-curious mind here. <laughs> so my current one, you already know, because I'm very, I'm very curious about Clubhouse. I'm curious about how to curate a really good room. I'm interested in what um, crazy things people are doing with the format and how they're innovating that. 
I'm interested in um, what happens with a new social network. And one of the things I'm really interested in is this is the first social network where um, a lot of the people who are currently on it already understand how social networks work. Whereas the early ones, like when we were doing Instagram, everyone was just kind of doing their thing and no one understood that there are like, there are rules, there are physics, there's like a natural biology, right? And we didn't understand that. And now everyone understood. In hindsight, everyone now understands, oh, that's, that happened because of that. But we're, bring, we're coming to Clubhouse with, the, with that knowledge. And what I'm interested in is there are rules that we know about, but what about the next level of rules? What's the, what's the second bounce of the ball, right? Like, does a social network develop differently when everyone knows the rules? Because what we know about is how it develops when people don't know the rules. And we're interpreting that and applying it to this new situation where people do know the rules. Well, it might not actually, that might change the rules. You might have this kind of like endogenous effect. So I think that's really interesting. Look, Rachel, I'm loving this conversation. And I know that we, you know, we don't have a lot of time today. Any last words or any message that you want to leave our amazing listeners with? Well, if you're parents, <laughs> check out Cory Kids. You know, beyond that, if you're parents, my hat goes off to you. It's very hard um, at the moment, but it's hard for everyone. And we're all going to get through this. I'm excited about this summer. I have a good feeling. And uh, I actually think... You know, once this pandemic is over, it's just going to be amazing. Everyone's going to be going out all the time. I think there's going to be this incredible pent up, like flowering. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be incredible actually. So it's horrible right now. It's dark, it's raining, but you know, I think we can keep that in mind. What an amazing message to leave everyone with. I love that. Thank you very, very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening so far. Make sure that you listen to other episodes. You can go to hypercurious.fm. And if you want to stay in touch, I'm around. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You just search for my name and you're going to find me. If you love this conversation and more, make sure that you also do a five star and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts if that's your preferred podcast app. It will mean the world to me. For now, ciao, ciao.